minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nahum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
Since I was a child, I followed in your ways. Now that I am older, it is harder, I must say. I have my own free will, still I choose you. Being a servant's not a burden when you're working for the king. Who loves you like a son and daughter only wants to bring you closer. Bring me close. Oh, when I feel so far from where you Thank you. 
ארצה שנתקרב. וכל החיים שלי חיים של אמונה, שאני צריך אותך, אני תמיד קורא לך, אנא השם, הצליחה נא.
J.M. in the A.M. Yesh B. Emuna. That is a selection from Mordechai Shapiro and Shmuel here on a Friday morning broadcast at J.M. in the A.M. Arye Kunstler and Itzik Dadia before that with Avodat Halev. Kulama Uvim done by Shal Sheles off the Reconnect album. I'm Yisrael Chai, Benny Friedman with an amazing collection, perfect for this time of uh, what the Jewish people are going through. Mordechai Ben David's hooked on Zmiros. I just felt we had to get a Friday morning full Zmiros medley out there and um, pray for a peaceful Shabbos for everybody. Obviously, there are going to be a lot of families, a lot of members of our of our nation who will not be having a peaceful Shabbos, but let us not take it for granted when we have one. And Regesh Modani opening things up, and we say good morning. Welcome to a Friday jam in the AM today. Oh, I have the... Um, <laughs> I know I have the information here in front of me somewhere. As we... Uh, Let's see. There we go. I knew I'd find it. Uh, yeah, look, basically looking for a Jewish calendar. It's the 20th day of October, day number five. In the month of Mar Cheshvan, the year is 5784, five, Tafshin Pei I was, as we were listening to that song just a moment ago, I was reminded of a um, a rabbi in Israel who was talking about what it was like to say Avinu Malkenu on Rosh Chodesh Mar Cheshvan. And he was describing how, um, you know, Hallel, and uh, that day, I mean, many people are still saying Avinu Malkenu, depending on the synagogue, because there are many rabbis who have uh, decided it's, it's the thing to do, that we need to do it. Uh, obviously, every rabbi, you know, incorporates those suggestions and um, and decisions into their own synagogue. But anyway, this is not this is not a discussion to to say whether we should be saying it or not. It's a an observation that I heard from a rabbi in Israel about that incredible combination on that Rosh Chodesh Mar Cheshvan just a few days ago. 
when they were saying Hallel back-to-back with Avinu Malkeinu. Almost impossible to believe. Certainly a couple of weeks ago, we wouldn't have believed it. But any, anyway, here we are. It's, uh, we're completing the second full week of the war, and we are praying for our brothers and sisters. Uh, it is, in fact, Erev Shabbos Parshas Noach. Candle lighting in New York is 548. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Again, 548 will start Bahab on Monday. I wonder if that will encourage more people during this time to fast, since the custom is to fast on Bahab. Very well could be. Um, anyway, Candlelighting New York 548. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Malcolm Holmline expected. He'll join us in hour number two this morning. And the good news for us is that he's in Jerusalem. Malcolm Holmline is in Jerusalem, and he will um, hopefully, I mean, he told me it's 85%. <laughs> He'll hopefully be able to uh, have the time to join us this morning here at JM and the AM with our weekly update. And, of course, uh, Rabbi Yudin, Harry Rothenberg, everything you'd expect on a Friday coming up here at JM and the AM. Now, one of the things you may not have expected is the announcement we made on social media yesterday. Uh, we are going to uh, be embarking on a Jewish unity initiative to Israel really for two purposes, one to show solidarity, show achdut, show brotherhood, show care and concern. When you show up somewhere, and already the reaction we're getting, we haven't even left yet, and the reaction we're getting has been really something special, frankly. Um, But we are, um, and also I look at myself as I have for the last 40 years as a representative of the diaspora and American Jewish community. I know there's a lot of people that would like to get to Israel right now to express that care, concern, comfort um, for our brothers and sisters. Thank God I got the opportunity to do it, and because you're all behind me every single day, which is something I don't take for granted, we get to do it together in this way. And I must thank um, chairman of this Jewish Unity Initiative mission, uh, B and Ralph Rosenbaum, and Ralph's going to be traveling with me. Um, B and Ralph Rosenbaum, again, they have uh, been at the forefront of understanding how important it is to undertake these missions and to be al-hamakom, to be at the place that you need to be when we need to be there. And Ralph basically said to me, we need to be there now. And of course, he's 100% right. He'll be chairing our events. He'll be um, uh, with us during our programming, during our shows, of course. And that's all going to be happening um Tuesday and Wednesday. The plan is we're going to leave uh, Monday, please God, after JM and the AM. So I'll speak more about this at the beginning of next week. And then Tuesday and Wednesday, our broadcast will emanate from Yerushalayim. We'll be in Jerusalem, please God. No doubt uh, one of our studio, one of our uh, shows will be from our studio at Nefesh Ben Nefesh. No doubt we will be face-to-face with Rabbi Fass and some very special guests as we will bring this message of comfort, care, concern, love, from the diaspora to Israel. And uh, Wednesday morning's broadcast will likely be at a very interesting place in Jerusalem. Um, we are shoring that up with a very interesting lineup. If, if in fact, this uh, trip is going to be all about care, concern, achdus, love, etc., then we, we are, please God, going to be having a very, very special show with a lot of that, a lot of the unity that we have been enjoying during this painful period uh, we'll hopefully have that um on the air on steroids as i <laughs> as i like to say now um this coming wednesday so tuesday and wednesday from jerusalem the plan is to get back in time 
to do Thursday morning show. Of course, uh, Avrami is going to be standing by in case, uh, I don't even know if I told Avrami that he's going to be standing by, but he will be standing by, please God, <laughs> in, case, in case anything gets delayed. Uh, and then, of course, next Friday, uh, back here at, um, at one of our uh, United States studios at JM and the AM. So that's the story. It is, um, look, I mean, this has happened before. Obviously, when we've made any type of announcement of heading to Israel during a difficult time, I'm thinking of the summer of 2014. I'm thinking of during certain intifadas. I'm thinking of the broadcasts we did from Judea and Samaria back in 2001. Whenever, whenever this, this is announced, we get a very positive reaction, and uh, I'm glad. I'm glad people um, look at it that way and understand how important transmitting this message is. So we'll be there, please God, Tuesday and Wednesday, we will be speaking with many special guests. I think this. So the, the first thing, of course, is the achdus, the unity, the love, the care, concern, the the um, the um, comfort that we want to offer as brothers from uh, from the United States coming to Israel. But I think the other piece to what we're going to experience next week is um, is what's going to be felt the other way as I have been and I think many of you picked this up from our conversations this week especially the one with Dove Hikind. it is obvious that our brothers and sisters are in a very painful state Rabbi Fass spoke about a long Yom HaZikaron a long Israel Memorial Day mood and I've seen that quoted many many times now and I just I think it's I think it's important as we, and no criticism whatsoever, as we continue to put together our tefillah and Tehillim gatherings and, and, and uh, uh, pack up packages and, and do everything that we're doing, all the different events that are going on in order, to, um, in order to display unity, in order to send positive messages, in order to beseech the one above, to protect our brothers and sisters, everything that we're doing, and, and even the fancy fundraising events that are, you know, requiring us to go to a nice dinner while, while our brothers and sisters are on the front lines. Um, all of that is wonderful, and it's obviously happening a lot in the diaspora. But in Israel, in addition to, the, to those events that are taking place and those types of gestures that are going on constantly, thank God, there is a pain that our brothers and sisters are feeling, a pit in their stomach, a state of trauma, shock, and disbelief that is going to linger for quite a while. And I think it's really, really important that we transmit that to the world, that we let everyone know what everyone there is going through. And it started to really open up to me when people like Rabbi Fass and Tony Gelbard and Dove Hikind and others started to come on the air. And... Um, you know, and we moved past this thank God we're alive stage because obviously the terrorists could have targeted anybody, even 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 people outside of Israel. Um and and went into and moved into a stage of of fright. I mean, it's so I, I, I feel like I feel helpless when I hear people in Israel in in cities not near the south, even cities not near the north, tell me how difficult it is for them to sleep, how hard it is for their children, their families, what they're all going through. Obviously, on top of that, everybody's associated or knows or somehow, as we know, 
is, is, is a degree or two of separation away from those families who are suffering as families of, 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 of hostages. And certainly everybody with no degrees of separation is um, familiar with, is friends with, is neighbors with somebody who has lost somebody in this terrible war. Remember, as Israel now enters its 14th day, or is in the middle of its 14th day of this war, as the second full week becomes complete, we're talking about over 4,600 people wounded, over 4,600 of our brothers and sisters wounded, and over 1,400 killed, which is, I mean, the numbers are so gargantuan compared to numbers that we've shared in the most horrific terror attacks and even in the start of certain wars. But this is the reality, and we need to realize, and I think it's one of the messages and feelings that are going to come out of our broadcast Tuesday and Wednesday from Jerusalem, we have got to realize what they're going through, and we have got to lend a very special hand from the diaspora to Israel, even more, even more beyond or, or way beyond what we're doing now because we've got to internalize that, what they're going through at this time. So we're heading there. Uh, I think these two themes are very, very important and frankly urgent. Uh, anybody who has heard on either side of the world that we're going there to broadcast has given us um, tremendous chizuk and... Um, We'll be bringing it to you starting Tuesday morning right here at JMNAM. So again, Monday in our New York City studio, Tuesday, please God, in our Jerusalem studio. In addition, of course, to those who've been wounded and killed in the last 14 days, the IDF says there are at least 203 captives in Gaza. We will again go into Shabbos, realizing that they are not with their families for Shabbos. And I remind everybody, not that I think any synagogue or individual needs to be reminded, that there are special prayers for the state. There are special I know this is a revelation actually for certain people. There's a revelation there's a there's a prayer for the state, a prayer for the soldiers, a prayer for those who are missing, especially I mean that prayer is specifically for soldiers who are missing, but uh all these prayers should be said. And on Shabbos, we get an opportunity to say them in front of big crowds together when the uh, large gathering of people in a synagogue has even greater effect on the one above. So please, make sure we don't lose sight of what our brothers and sisters are going through. You know, it's, it's interesting. There was, a, there was a very small number of shuls around the world who kept Jonathan Pollard in mind every single week for 30 years. Very small number. But there were a few every single week for 30 years, and certainly many synagogues every single week since 1982 who had open prayers every week for those soldiers who are missing, praying for them to be released, to come back. If, God forbid, they had met their end to their bodies, to be brought back to Israel for proper burial, etc., etc., etc. Now we have hundreds of, to pray for. Let's not let a week go by where they're not at the forefront, where they're not where they are not one of the main focuses of our public gatherings, our public prayers. It's going to be really important as this thing drags on and please God they're released today, please God, please God. But if it 
But if not, as this continues, it's going to be hard to remain focused on all of this, and we need to. We definitely need to. Also, the IDF reminds us that there are over 100 people still considered missing. And I believe that includes... Um, I believe that includes Daniel Peretz, um, Shelly and Rav Daron's son. And we're going to try to see Rav Daron when we're there. Um, so there are families in agony in so many different ways. We have to keep that in mind. Anyway, that's the, um, that's the Jewish Unity Initiative for 5784. Um, uh, Ralph Rosenbaum is going to be traveling with me. I thank him and his wife, B. Uh, as uh, he again chairs this Jewish Unity Initiative. We leave after JM and the AM on Monday. We are there in Jerusalem, please God, at the minimum Tuesday and Wednesday. And, um, and that is our plan for next week. In just over an hour, Malcolm Honline, Vice Chairman, Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, he told me that we're at about 85% that he'll be able to join us this morning. He's in Jerusalem, so it has made things a bit complicated because of his schedule and meetings, but hopefully we'll have a weekly update for you here at about 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time if you keep it at JM in the a.m.
J.M. and the A.M. S.R. A.N.I. done by Micha Gammerman. Before that, the um, uh, selection from Nisim Black and Yoni Z called Home. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Uh, and a lot of people very, very, um, uh, what's the word? Appreciative, I'm glad to say. Appreciative of the um, gesture that we're heading to Israel, that we're heading home. Yeah, I know it's temporarily. I get it. I get it. But um, at least it's, uh, it's an opportunity to show some solidarity, some brotherhood, some comfort, some care, some concern. It's an opportunity. JM in the AM. 
heading to Israel after Monday's show, which we'll do in our New York City studio, and then uh, to the airport and um, Tuesday morning and Wednesday morning from Jerusalem. And as I said, two major themes, in my opinion. You know, the question is when uh, someone like Ralph Rosenbaum comes forward and, and chairs a Jewish unity initiative like this, I always discuss with him, you know, what, what's the goal? What's the, aside from being there on the ground, which he agrees is, you know, very important and frankly urgent at this time. I say to him, you know, what's the goal? What's the message? And as I said earlier, one message is in one direction, meaning bringing care, concern, comfort, being there face-to-face with people who are suffering, our brothers and sisters. And I, and I think the other one is the, is, is the other message is, the, is in the other direction. Letting people in diaspora know what type of pain our brothers and sisters are in. The trauma, the, the disbelief, how difficult it is for so many, especially the younger people, to, to process all of this. And I think it's a really important message, and I think we all discover that from the moment we get to the airport, frankly, and start meeting with people who are... Who are um, very much associated with the very serious side of this entire episode. And keep in mind over Shabbos that as we now get set to complete two weeks, two full weeks of the war, keep in mind the over 200 captives that the enemy is holding. Keep in mind the 1,400 who've been killed, which is still such a staggering number, one of the reasons that it's so difficult for people in Israel to get past this shock. And, um, and keep in mind all the wounded Thousands of wounded. Thousands of wounded. Um, Edie says, Yes, unity, this is what we need. So special you're going. I appreciate it. We've gotten a lot of reaction like that in many different uh, areas, including on uh, Facebook when we announced the trip last night on social media. Um Moshe Eisenberg says, Good morning, Nachum. Going to Eretz Yisrael now, as you are, is collective shivakol and a Beaker Cholem visit. And yeah, that I can't, uh, I can't argue with that. And uh, I do feel that I'm representing a lot of people, all of you, all of us, uh, when we embark on a mission like this. Um, it is the 20th day of October and the fifth day in the month of Mar Cheshvan. Candle lighting in New York, 548. Make sure you know when things start where you are. In uh, hour number two, Harry Rothenberg's going to be on, of course, or by you in hour number three. I'll try to go through some of the events that we're talking about. Monday night, of course, at the Old Westbury Hebrew Congregation. I, I got confirmation last night that two of my family members are going to be there for the event, which was so nice. So nice to hear. Significant donations being given for a wonderful cause. And, of course, uh, you, you get a nice dinner out of it. Which I, uh, which I understand. It's really going to be a beautiful event. Um, and that's happening Monday night at Old Westbury. You can go to grillingforidf.com, grillingforidf.com for information on that one. And uh, we have other events going on, which we will talk about here at JM in the AM. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NachumSiegel.com and the NachumSiegel Network, and of course, any beloved NSN app. Golly, it's on the background. No doubt they're reviewing some of these sounds of the last couple of weeks.
מיד אחרי החדשות, נורית קנטי. גלי צהל, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday is next. We say בוקר טוב from JM and the AM. גלי צהל השעה 2, שלום רב באולפן עמית קלדרון עם מה שקורה עכשיו. חשש לאירוע ביטחוני סמוך ליישוב מרגליות שבאצבע הגליל. התושבים באזור התבקשו להיכנס למרחב המוגן, חילופי אש התנהלו במקום. כוחות צה"ל פתחו במרדף אחר חשוד שחדר ליישוב מלבנון ותקפו מספר מחבלי חיזבאללה לאורך הגבול. מוקדם יותר נשמעו אזעקות באזור בית שמש, אשדוד, אשקלון, שדרות ומספר קיבוצים בעוטף עזה. לא דווח על נפגעים או נזק. ידיעה שריכזו כתבינו אדר גיציס ורמי שני. ועדת החוץ והביטחון של הכנסת קיימה היום ישיבה מיוחדת בבסיס הקריה בתל אביב בעקבות המלחמה. שר הביטחון יואב גלנט אמר, השלב הבא אחרי נפילת חמאס, יצירת משטר ביטחוני חדש בעזה והסרת האחריות הישראלית על החיים ברצועה. יושב ראש הוועדה, חבר הכנסת יולי אדלשטיין מסיעת הליכוד אמר, אנחנו ניתן את כל מרחב הפעולה לצה"ל, לכוחות הביטחון ולקבינט, ובנוסף הוועדה תשים דגש רב על העורף האזרחי. כוחות הביטחון סיימו מבצע נרחב שנמשך יותר מ-24 שעות במחנה הפליטים נור א-שמס בטול כרם. במהלך הפעילות נפל לוחם משמר הגבול במילואים, רס"ר מקסים רז'ניקוב, ומספר לוחמים נפצעו. 13 מחבלים חוסלו ו-20 מבוקשים נעצרו. מדווח כתבנו הצבאי דורון קדוש. המבצע במחנה הפליטים נור א-שמס נמשך יותר מ-24 שעות, במהלכו 13 מחבלים חוסלו, יותר מ-20 מבוקשים נעצרו, מסתערב מג"ב במילואים נפל במהלך חילופי אש עם מחבלים, כמו כן הושמדו מספר מעבדות מטענים, נחשפו מטענים שהוטמנו בצירים, כטב"ם תקף חוליה חמושה מהאוויר, רכב תופת הושמד, וכן נהרס בניין המפקדה של מבוקשי המחנה. בשעה זו מובאים למנוחות בבית העלמין בקיבוץ חולדה חברי קיבוץ בארי, אורית סלע סבירסקי ורפי סבירסקי, שנרצחו בבתיהם בקיבוץ בארי. מוקדם יותר בשדרות הובאו למנוחת עולמים בני משפחת זק מקיבוץ כיסופים. ההורים אתי ואיתי בני החמישים ובנם שגיא בן החמש עשרה, שנרצחו בשבת שעברה בביתם. נוצר קשר עם 95% מהפצועים במלחמה ומהמשפחות השכולות, כך מעדכן הביטוח הלאומי. עם הפרטים כתבתנו לענייני רווחה, מאיה שוקן. מתוך כמעט שלושת אלפים אזרחים שנפצעו במלחמה שפרטיהם הועברו לביטוח הלאומי, נוצר קשר עם כ-2,800. מתחילת הלחימה, הביטוח הלאומי החל להעביר לכל הפצועים שאושפזו מקדמות הנעות בין 5,000 ל-11,000 שקלים, וכן נפתח קו ייעודי לנפגעים שמספרו 0266999999. כמו כן, הביטוח הלאומי מעדכן כי הוארכו אוטומטית קצבאות הנכות לבין ארבעה חודשים לשישה. וכן תשלום לאנשי מילואים יועבר בתחילת החודש ולא בתום תקופת השירות, כפי שנהוג בימי שגרה. שערו היציג של הדולר נקבע על 4 שקלים, 4 אגורות ו-9 עשיריות האגורה, עלייה של חצי אחוז. האירו עלה מול השקל ב-7 עשיריות האחוז, ושערו היציג נקבע על 4 שקלים ו-28 אגורות. כתבנו לענייני כלכלה, ישראל פישר מוסר כי השקל נחלש אחרי שסוכנות דירוג האשראי מודי'ס אמרה שהיא מציבה את דירוג האשראי של ישראל בתחזית שלילית. מזג האוויר תחול עלייה קלה בטמפרטורות עד שעות הצהריים ייתכן טפטוף עד גשם קל בצפון הארץ ולאורך מישור החוף. אלה החדשות שערך עמיתי ליפשיץ.
Let's go. 
JM and the AM Friday morning hour of Shabbos. Thanks for joining us. We're live here on a Friday as we uh, as we continue to have our brothers and sisters in Israel in our minds and in our hearts like we've never before. You know, it's funny. I discussed this. Um, I discussed this a couple of weeks ago. I mean, not a couple of weeks ago. During the first uh, week of the war, I mentioned to somebody that I was just considering. Actually, considering is the wrong word. I was thinking about whether it was still important to end our show every day with the words, our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. You know, this whole issue that I've spoken about many times about the uh, the shift in dependency of Israel on the diaspora. Now it's much more the other way, etc., etc. And then something like this happens, and I'm like, Wow. Uh, a slogan that I thought had been outdated cannot possibly be more relevant. Achenu Yisrael and Achni Machem is uh, is correct. It uh, it says it all. Uh, one of the um, that's one of the messages we're carrying this coming uh, this coming week as JM and the AM heads to Israel. Uh, after Monday's JM and the AM in New York City, we're going to be going to. Uh, Fly to Israel. I want to thank our chairman, Ralph Rosenbaum, and a big thank you to B and Ralph Rosenbaum, who again have realized the importance of being on the spot, at the place, with the people. Um, and they are sponsoring our Jewish Unity Initiative for uh, our first one for 5784. And um, once the broadcast ends on Monday, we head to Israel Tuesday and Wednesday. We'll be broadcasting from Jerusalem, Tuesday and Wednesday from Jerusalem. It's a shame it's under these circumstances, but uh, we're looking forward to bringing a, a measure of comfort and letting people know that there's thousands of people that are virtually accompanying me as uh, we come to Israel to to give a hug to our brethren. Uh, Harry Rothenberg's um, Harry Rothenberg's presentation is being presented in honor of a Rufua Shlema for Ruchama Chana Etel Baschava, Ruchama Chana Etel Baschava, for whose complete speedy recovery we continue to pray. Ruchama Chana Etel Baschava. Harry Rothenberg, as we uh, broadcast just before Shabbos Parshas Noach. Here at JM in the AM. After the flood, Noah and his family were still stuck in the ark waiting for the waters to recede. Eventually, Noah opened a window and he sent a raven out. And the raven kept circling the ark and returning. He sent a dove out and the dove also couldn't find any dry land, so it came back into the ark. A week later, he sent it out again and this time the dove came back with an olive leaf in its bill showing Noah that the waters had subsided. Why did Noah have to replace the raven with the dove? I get it, starting pitchers, don't throw nine innings, you need relief pitchers and closers, but back then they did. Why couldn't the raven complete the job? One commentator explains that the raven refused to do the job. It was supposed to fly around looking for dry land, but it wouldn't. It kept circling the ark and wouldn't leave its immediate vicinity. Why? The Talmud gives us an explanation. If you've never heard it before, you'll think I'm crazy, but I'm not, you can look it up. It states that the raven thought that Noah had designs on its mate. It thought that Noah was sending it out so that he could pursue a relationship of some sort with Mrs. or Rebbitson Raven, which obviously is completely ridiculous. What's going on? 
Perhaps what's going on is that the raven was comfortable in the ark. It didn't want to leave its comfort zone where it had all its needs taken care of and go out into this brave new world, but it had to come up with an excuse. It couldn't admit that it was scared. Ravens aren't supposed to be wimps, especially if they're from Baltimore. So it had to come up with some excuse, even a crazy one. Oh, I can't go because uh, you, Noah, I, I think you might pursue my mate. Really? The joke's on us because we do the exact same thing. We are so addicted to our creature comforts. We can't get up off that couch and we will make any excuse not to leave our comfort zones, even a bird-brained one like the ravens. And now more than ever in our lives, we've got to stop doing that. We have to leave our comfort zones and take things on, things we haven't done before, whatever they may be, Shabbat, tefillin, prayer, study, charity, volunteering, getting along with each other, even if we're different. Every single one of us has a brother and a sister who was killed, who was taken captive in Gaza, who's about to go to war, because we're all brothers and sisters as part of the Jewish people. And so we've got to leave our comfort zones. If we're not doing anything, we've got to do. And if we are doing, we've got to do more. They need us. Well said, Harry Rothenberg. Well said. Uh, well said. Don't go into Shabbos without uh, our brothers and sisters on our minds. Over 200 captive, 1,400 killed. Imagine how many families are in an official state of mourning. Forget about the entire country, which is in a state of mourning. But those who are in an official state of mourning, Shiva, Shloshim, etc. And, um, of course, those who've been wounded. Over 4,500 at this point. You know, listener Zena uh, on the app just uh, just nailed it, hit the nail on the head. This is one of the things we've been talking about all morning. Good morning, Nachum. I landed two days ago from Israel. As always, a bittersweet feeling. Family here, family there. Can't even comprehend the extent of the horror that has befallen us. That's it. And that's one of the messages we're going to be transmitting to the world when we're there Tuesday and Wednesday in Jerusalem. I don't think we realize what our brothers and sisters are going through. I'm not even talking about those who are directly involved as families of those who've been killed or families of captives. I'm talking about just the average person in Israel and the trauma that's affected every single family. Um, Yeah, I think that's uh, legitimate to say for sure. Uh, There are sponsors of this radio broadcast that have really stepped it up. I've been mentioning this all week. First of all, a a big shout-out to Seth and everybody at Abel's and Hyman A&H. We know how delicious the meat is, believe you me. (laughs) I could talk about it for days. Uh, But they, uh, along with many of their colleagues in the corporate world, in the retail world, a lot of them have, uh, have transformed their social media messaging and um what they feel is important to advertise now uh, to support for our brothers and sisters in Israel. So let's follow their example. If you have a uh, social media presence of significance, utilize it. Utilize it to remind the world about what our brothers and sisters are going through. And our friends at Art Scrolls, I keep on mentioning, have sent tens of thousands of Gemaras, Dafyomi Gemaras, to our soldiers in Israel, which is absolutely remarkable. Another reason why I'll continue to remind you that when you go to artscroll.com, make sure to use promo code radio. 
Um, I'll remind you to go to artscroll.com for that reason. But while you're there, use promo code radio for your free shipping and your major discount. Uh, there's some causes I wanted to make sure to mention this morning that we've been uh, talking about really all week long. First of all, the Amit campaign to help children who have been uh, traumatized and are and it's being recommended they have professional help deal with the situation. Amit has a special fund for that, as Andy Goldsmith described earlier in the week. Go to AmitChildren.org, AmitChildren.org. Rabbi Shai Graucher and his incredible staff have put together this Gamilas Chasadim campaign that has been uh, <laughs> very, very active. I mean, first of all, the financial end has been amazing. Over $1.8 million has already been donated. But you just have to watch the videos of what they're doing. Uh, it's an incredible campaign to help families in need and to help soldiers on the front. Charity.com, and the videos are on this site, charity.com, C-H-A-R-I-D-Y, charity.com slash Chesed Verachamim. Chesed with two S's. Verachamim is V-R-A-C-H-A-M-I-M. Charity.com slash Chesed Verachamim. Again, Chesed has two S's when you spell that out. Also, as I mentioned earlier, Chef Beret and uh, Simon and the entire staff at Ram Caterers are getting ready for the incredible event Monday night. Yes, this is a little bit different. I know not not everyone's always comfortable with the with the events where our brothers and sisters are on the front lines and we're uh, sitting and having an amazing dinner and experience. But in this case, they are raising money where every single penny goes to grilling for IDF. So it actually fits, right? (laughs) Grilling for IDF and people are enjoying great food on this end. Um, It's a $360 donation. It's at the Old Westbury Hebrew Congregation between 6 and 10 p.m. this coming coming, uh, Monday. And... um, they are going to be uh, providing dinner, a bourbon tasting, cigars, raffle tickets. Uh, there'll be a mentalist there to entertain, door prizes and more. It's all for grilling for IDF, and every penny goes there. Again, kudos to Simon, Ram Caterers, and to all of their colleagues that they've gotten to be sponsors of the event with them, uh, all who are providing different things to make it one big successful event. Uh, information, go to grillingforidf.com, grillingforidf.com simple as that our friends at Yad Ezra continue their campaign we went through this earlier in the week with Tefillah Booksbaum you know that during the year uh, we'll bring their campaigns in general to your attention because uh, they're literally feeding thousands of kids and families who are in poverty in Israel that's the bottom line now they have stepped up their efforts and they are delivering snacks and water to Israeli soldiers as the need arises. They're being told by authorities when their need, the need is there. And they have trucks all over Israel delivering food to communities that are having trouble getting food items into the community because obviously it is a supply chain issue. Israel is at war. If you want to give, give generously. Yad Ezra, E-Z-R-A dot net slash food. Yad Ezra, E-Z-R-A dot net slash food so those are some of the campaigns that we've been highlighting people constantly asking about different things that are going on in terms of uh, how they can help and these are some of our recommendations and you know there's a million other great causes (laughs) there's no question about that we've been uh we've we've seen a lot of great things uh, pop up over the last uh, few days as um the war continues malcolm holmline will hopefully join us from israel he told me it's about 85 percent. he's in jerusalem i believe he's certainly in israel and hopefully he'll be able to join us for the weekly update 
It's an important show. Monday after the show, we head to Israel. Uh, kudos again and a big thank you to the Rosenbaum family and our chairman, Ralph Rosenbaum, for this Jewish Unity Initiative. Uh, we'll be there Tuesday and Wednesday with messages of support for our brothers and sisters in the Holy Land and then back to the United States. That's the plan. We'll see what happens, but that is the plan. More coming up. It's JM in the AM. Oh, 
With Yehoram Gaon, Achenu is the name of that selection. Shalom Ha Yisrael from Miami, Yehuda Green's Chizuk Nigun. His Zohari done by Michal Przanski. JM and AM on a Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. Malcolm Holmline is in Jerusalem. It's always extra special for us, but boy, we certainly need to connect with the Holy Land as much as possible. To that end, we'll be heading to Israel after Monday morning's JM and the AM, Tuesday and Wednesday we'll be broadcasting from Jerusalem and bringing a message of comfort, I hope, of a comfort and loving kindness to our brothers and sisters there, and no doubt feeling uh, there on the spot uh, the horror, the trauma, the fear, uh, the difficulty with which our brothers and sisters are going through right now. As uh, 1,400 have been killed, a staggering figure which is unfathomable even two weeks into the war. Uh, 4,500 wounded, over 200 being held captive. The whole thing is unbelievable, as we know. Uh, 20th of October, the fifth day in the month of Maracheshvan, candle lighting in New York, 548. Make sure you know when things start where you are. I want to thank our friends at jewishworldreview.com. If you want thousands of articles to print out before Shabbos to uh, peruse what's happening in this amazing world of ours, go to jewishworldreview.com and enjoy. Malcolm Holmline is in Israel. He is the vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, with us Fridays for the weekly update. Mr. Honline, from here in the United States, we say shalom. Thank you for being with us, and welcome back to JM in the AM. Well, as always, it's a pleasure to be with you. It's always a special pleasure to be from Yerushalayim, even though I wish it were under much better circumstances. That is an understatement. Um, there, there's so much to talk about. In fact, you have news that you've just learned in the last few minutes, which you're going to share with us. And we will talk about President Biden, of course. People are anxious for me to ask you about his visit this week. But I must start, and knowing that you saw the prime minister this week, I must start. Tell us about the disposition of the prime minister. Tell us about the resolve of the prime minister. Tell us about the resolve of those who serve under him, who are going to be asked, I assume, soon to carry out this mission in Gaza. Well, um, the prime minister obviously looked very tired. He has not slept very much. He's been living in the Kiryat that we met him in Jerusalem. He was meeting with the um, 
Prime Minister of Great Britain right after us. Um, and also there at the same time, uh, Governor Hochul uh, was in Jerusalem for a quick visit and um, made some very good statements. But the Prime Minister's remarks were very pointed, very strong, uh, showed the, a commitment to, to the goal of destroying Hamas, of rooting it out, but, but cautioning that it's not a quick process, it's not going to be days, maybe not even weeks, perhaps months, because of the way that they have structured their presence in, in Gaza. Uh, the people the people around him also, I think, have a clear vision and that there is a, a, a policy and a program that they are going to pursue. I'm not sure they know all the details yet. And as you know, the, the invasion has not taken place yet, although it could be very imminent. Uh, because there are so many complexities. They want to avoid civilian casualties where they can because of the international reaction, which began even before uh, even uh, before the blood was dried in the, in, after the massacre, which, as I described to you before, has no words and no description to know the enemy that we are fighting. But I think that they are determined this time to root them out completely, what the day after will be is a subject of a lot of speculation uh, still. But the Army, I can tell you, I visited troops, I've spoken to them. They are anxious to go in, both in the north and the south, anxious to take, get action going. They, they understand the risks, yet they know the stakes and what, and what their responsibilities are. I've not heard one. And as you know, the call-up response is 140%, meaning that, they called up 100%, but 140% showed up Right. when everybody said that they wouldn't come and wouldn't serve. Well, so not everybody, but, but a certain group, right? Not it's everyone. 140% of the, of, of the total. No, I know. And, I'm, and, sa- and I'm saying not everybody said they wouldn't serve, but there was a group that had said no, they wouldn't no, serve. Right. Right. No, but the impression right. that they created in the West right. was, and, and I think those divisions and that impression would encourage uh, them to take the action, believing that they wouldn't. And this was long planned and uh, one has to say uh, executed in remarkable ways and ways that we're still finding out some of the manifestations. Yeah, no question about it. And the, you know some of those details. And if we have an opportunity, we'll get to some of those this morning. The, um, the, the, the As we think back to 2014 and other times when Israel felt the necessity to go into Gaza, unless my memory fails me, it, it, it was airstrikes followed almost immediately by, by some type of ground invasion. Is it the hostage situation that's making this much more complicated? Is it the goal of really eradicating them and making sure they cannot rear their ugly head again? Is that what's making this more complicated, a combination of the both or other factors I'm not even thinking of? All of the above and more. Um, for one, it, the hostages, 203 that have been identified, and there may be more, uh, is a, a major consideration. Uh, we don't know who's alive and who's not. They don't know exactly where they're being held, though they have obviously intelligence about some of it, but they're mostly underground in the tunnel network that we've discussed many times that has been created, uh, by the way, in Lebanon too, but oh here immediately in Gaza. Oh boy. Uh, secondly, secondly, you want to, their, their goal is to eradicate the leadership 
and destroy the infrastructure of Hamas. It's not to kill all the Gazans that they can. They don't want to kill uh, other people. Therefore, they gave them all this advance notice that a million people could move south and that, uh, you know, they created conditions that would minimize the civilian casualties, as Israel always does. But the the uh, planning and the places where to enter, you can be sure that there are some incursions taking place to check out, to, to um, map out uh, and prepare the uh, troops for the best, the most successful and effective uh, entrance. As you know, the enemy was well prepared. They had maps on them, which had very detailed descriptions of each of the communities, where they should strike. Uh, we know now that uh, there was a B'nai Akiva Yeshiva and several schools that were primary targets which they didn't realize on Saturday wouldn't be in school. But it was certainly well-planned, uh, and uh, people had assigned their positions. And many civilians, you know, followed the troops into the area. And some, unfortunately, still remain. Yeah. And you mentioned to me off the air, in addition to, to the maps, they had, they had uh, drugs that kept them awake, alert, and numb to the horror that they were about to inflict. Uh, in fact, uh, you just learned that, and I don't want to scare anybody, especially listeners in Israel, because God forbid they'll think that th- this might be happening where they are, but you, you just revealed to me off the air that there's a report that in Beersheba terrorists were found today. Yes, but the first thing is that they that on the terrorists they found captagon, right. which uh, number one takes away their appetite. It takes away their fear and and keeps them alert for long periods of time. <sighs> uh, and and how anybody could be immune to some of the barbaric acts without uh, I don't know how many drugs <laughs> they have to take in right. order to be able to do what they did. Exactly. Uh, but it takes long periods of indoctrination. They were told to mutilate bodies they were told to carry out outrages as part of their attack. The incident in in Beersheba, which just came to light, there were four terrorists from Gaza who were found in an apartment in Beersheba. And thanks to intelligence work, they were all caught and are now being questioned. By the way, and before we talk about President Biden, which obviously we're going to get to in a second, you mentioned a moment ago over 200 hostages. You know, Malcolm, I, you know how it is. You've said this to us for years and years and years. You can't let numbers, you know, numb oneself when they're, you know, people are not numbers. People are people, especially our brothers and sisters. We're used to, you know, one soldier being kidnapped. We're used to three boys being kidnapped. We're used to praying for, you know, for the for the bodies, for the lives and or the remains of four soldiers or seven soldiers, etc., etc., etc. You're getting my point. We're used to terror attacks that could take, God forbid, God forbid, as it's happened in the past, five people, 10 people, 20 people. These numbers are staggering. 1,400 killed. 4,500 wounded, over 200 families wondering where their family members are on this Shabbos. I I think we just need to stress for a second how staggering those figures are and what our brothers and sisters in Israel are going through. Having met even this morning, just a little while ago, families of those who are hostages and, and several times during this, as well as people from the communities that were on the front line of the attacks, the courage the encouragement that they gave us, but the courage that they're demonstrating 
is mind-boggling. When you go to the hotel hospitals and you see the soldiers who talk with such confidence and they want to go back. They want to go back to the front. We met one woman who went with her husband and eight kids to an army base to make Shabbos for the soldiers and to do a Shabbat program there. Thank God her eight kids were in a, a safe bunker, but she was a nurse and was went to treat the soldiers who had been wounded and got shot. But she spoke with such confidence and reassurance that me and I, the Rosh Yivit Amir was there when I was there. And the way she spoke was just, its it makes us realize how small we are compared to these people who, who have courage and commitment and keep Israel for us. Every day, this is not a commitment just of the, in the in the post facto of a, of an attack, and in the face of the whatever actions have to take place. So the the and the the scope of it, as you said, not just the 200 hostages, which is a staggering 203 now, and there are still a couple hundred missing. Many of the bodies can't be identified. There are 550 bodies that can't be identified. So they are doing DNA searches uh, to help identify all of them. So in the count, uh, uh, in the count of fourteen hundred of our brothers and sisters who have been killed, over five hundred of them till now have not been identified. Right. Wow. And as you know, I was down there. I saw them collecting the bodies, and the, but they burnt a lot of them, and that's why they can't be identified. And again, there are still people missing, even from that concert. You know, bodies are being found periodically. Uh, people who they thought had escaped but actually been killed in other locations have found 15 people in a field right near the border between uh, Bayeri and the Gaza border. Unbelievable. And, of course, you saw the story, and just it's one of a million stories, unfortunately. But this 13-year-old boy from, uh, from one of the kibbutzim who buried his parents and two older sisters, and now he's alone. And, again, you know, it's one of God knows how many horror stories, but that's uh, unfortunately typical of what so many of our brothers and sisters are going through at this point. Um, all right, uh, people are anxious to hear your reaction to the United States public officials, most notably, first, of course, President Biden. Tell me about his trip there from your perspective and then, his, uh, and then what you thought about his statements last night to the nation. Look, I think regardless of whether you, you like President Biden or you don't, or you're a Republican or a Democrat, this should be above politics. The fact that he came first president to visit during a wartime he, it gave great encouragement to the people of Israel. It was a statement to them. The fact that the, the ordering up of the aircraft carriers is a very important statement to them, especially the people in the north, uh, given the increased number of rockets being fired by uh, Hezbollah 30 last night in just an hour, hour and a half period, and uh, incidents even today. Uh, so the, the the actions were considered very important, uh, and his statements of reassurance of uh, and and also regarding the hospital, uh, you know, not many world leaders were willing to stand up even when the facts became known that uh, Israel clearly did not do this, and it was a result of an errant Pidge rocket, the Palestinian Islamic Jihad rocket. The fact that the president did that, people here would have liked to hear more, where he would pinpoint the blame on Iran and indicate that we're going to take more sanctions and more actions against Iran, uh, and that the, the fact that the Houthis from Yemen 
something I mentioned on the air as a possibility, became a reality. They fired three missiles. It's a long distance. Uh, an American naval presence uh, took it out. So there's no the question missiles. those missiles were aimed at Israel? That is the belief. There's no other place it would be aimed. But, you know, they're fighting Saudi Arabia, and they aimed the missiles at Saudi Arabia. But this was clearly going up the Red Sea towards Israel. And um, so I've not heard anybody speculate that there was another target. I can't even imagine what it would be, but right. it, it was clearly, you know, and they are a wholly owned subsidiary of Iran as, as it's Hezbollah, Hamas, Hamad, the militia groups in Syria and Iraq, etc. By the and, way, I, I got it. Yeah, I'm sorry. We talked many times about Iran's plan of encircling uh, Israel. So what we have to do is to make sure that when you want to kill a snake, you have to get it cut off its head. And we keep hearing about, you know, uh, what was the word? I wrote it down. High-ranking members that are constantly being taken out by Israelis. High-ranking members. I mean, I, I've seen that term in reference to at least 15 people since the war began. H how large is this leadership of Hamas? Is it 15? Is it 100? Is it 1,000? How many people need to be taken out to actually uh, cut off the head of this snake? Well, cutting off the head of the snake means you have to get Iran, uh, the ultimately. But the, the leadership, as you know, is sitting in Qatar of, of Hamas. They are luxuriating in fancy hotels and living a good life, uh, mostly in hiding now because they're afraid of it. But I think the messages that we heard this week would indicate that Israel was prepared to go after them wherever they are and that none of them will ultimately escape the judgment. The uh, ones they are getting, including Ania's son, who was a high-ranking uh, officer, were killed. They are the ones in Gaza thinking that they could be impervious because they lived in apartment buildings that uh, where op operations of Hamas were hidden among civilian population. As you know, they use them as human shields. Right. The, uh, so there are many people who are high-ranking officers who have, um, you know, are, are in leadership positions that have to be eliminated uh, as they destroy the leadership and the infrastructure of Hamas. You're not going to get all of the 10,000, 15,000 members, but you can destroy the whole entity, the organization, expel some, you know, hopefully eliminate many, and especially, though, taking out the leadership. Malcolm, uh, on the hospital episode, I didn't notice this, but someone pointed it out to me last night. I, I just don't know if it's true or not. When, when uh, the first uh, word came out from Gaza about what had happened with the hospital, and everybody was, of course, spreading word that Israel was responsible, so the death toll was being reported at about 500. Is it true that as word continued to seep out that, in fact, it was um, not Israel who's responsible for it, but Palestinians responsible for it, that that death toll dropped dramatically? Dramatically, the estimate is between one and 300. Even U.S. intelligence estimates put it at that. The Israelis said right away that the number was false. They went up to 418, and some of the people were saying 500. Some of the press that jumped on this, uh, I think BBC issued some sort of a clarification. But in the meantime, they, they continued to broadcast <laughs> the most horrendous accounts, one-sided bias accounts. Uh, and with the exception of Fox and a few other reporters uh, at CNN, a couple, and I mean, so many of them are giving, continuing to spread the lie. 
And even if they don't say it explicitly, they don't say that it was corrected and that the evidence that the United States officials put forward showed that it was a uh, uh, Palestinian Islamic Jihad and that the 500 that they were saying and showing the pictures repeatedly of the same scene, it's much more reflective of a, of a rocket than of an Israeli bombing. You would have a huge crater. You did not. You had a very narrow one. The, all of the signs, the, the, the technical aspects of this, you know, reinforce that this was uh, a pitch rocket misfire. Right. But the, the, so the number is about half of what they were claiming then. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program, heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio, around the world of web at NachumSiegel.com and the NachumSiegel Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. On Monday after JM and the AM, we fly to Israel. Our Jewish Unity Initiative takes us to Israel for obvious reasons. Our plan is to broadcast there Tuesday and Wednesday of next week. Join us. Malcolm Honline is in Israel, Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents, and with us live via telephone. The um, <laughs> One of the most disturbing things to watch, of course, is members of... And I know, Malcolm, we have to keep in mind, and I'm sure you agree with me, we have to always keep in mind that the overwhelming majority of the United States House of Representatives and the United States Senate are sympathetic and, and even more than sympathetic are, are supporters of Israel. We have to keep that in mind. But the squad, whether it's the hospital issue, the, the public demonstrations they're participating in, they are getting a tremendous amount of attention here. And it doesn't seem like engaging in any type of discussion, as we've seen, uh, you know, on TV with them has any value whatsoever. Should they simply, would you recommend just simply ignoring them at this point, accepting the fact that they're a poison in the United States House of Representatives? What's your approach? So first of all, you're absolutely right. And this is a disgrace that people could support Hamas and other members of Congress have attacked them. The support in Congress is overwhelming. It's, an, uh, I think, uh, 93% supporting Israel. In the Senate, the vote was 99 to 1, with Rand Paul being the one exception. The support, we believe, for the economic aid package uh, and military aid package will be very strong. Uh, I don't know how the complications with Ukraine and other things will impact it, but the, but the members of Congress who were here, uh, delegations that came in the last few weeks, one led by Schumer, with uh, bipartisan uh, and others. Uh, Joni Ernst had a delegation here. There were members coming, people wanting to come. Israel obviously, you know, makes it a, um, a rule because they cannot meet every delegation. You can't have the prime minister and the defense minister spending time in those meetings, as important as they are. But there's been a lot of expressions of interest in coming. So Congress and the statements that have been made are by and large good. You are absolutely right. This is the dilemma that we face. Right now, I've advised people not to pay attention to them, not to reiterate, not to talk about the squid, because they, these people thrive on, on the con controversy. Uh, I, it is much better when other members of, uh, of Congress, especially from minority groups, attack them and set the record straight with them. I think it's very important that leaders of other communities you know, t t t talk about the appropriate action to take, especially those who come from the districts they represent. Right. And, and they, they, but on the other hand, I think what Lawfare Project is planning to take action against Tlaib for her comments 
members of Congress are not allowed to lie. There are standards that are set. Now, we know politicians lie, but in the halls of Congress, and when you get up there and you say the blasphemous things that these have said, and the things that she has said at rallies supporting Hamas, talking about the death of, of uh, innocence, I think really deserves a much more concerted uh, response. And we have to be clever in how we do it, not to rally support to them, but to really isolate them you know, in the court of public opinion and the world press. Malcolm, not to put you on the spot, but we were, we were tossing this idea around the other day. Do you remember or have any idea when the first pro-Palestinian demonstration took place in Times Square? I mean, am I right that something like that was unheard of 30 years ago? No, they had, well, 30 years ago, I don't know, I'm much too young to remember that. <laughs> but um, uh, they had these demonstrations for a long time. But they were small, and they were a ragtag group. Now they're organized, and you see that uh, BLM and other movements, they, they do the uh, joining together with other causes and, and trying to augment a group. Also, you know, with the opening of our borders, with the immigration, you have many more people coming from uh, Middle East countries that identify or want to identify, and the radical movements on our campuses, the fact that Many American campuses have become hostile places for Jews, including NYU and Penn and Harvard and others, where you've had these horrific manifestations and the inability of leaders, the presidents and others to find their voice, to condemn it appropriately, setting up quotas on Jewish students, doing, uh, taking other measures and not acting against professors who get in, up in the classroom and humiliate Jewish students or speak about the destruction of Israel. And yet there's no price. But if those who defend Israel are often isolated and, and uh, punished in, on the campuses. So we have to do, and I, I want to salute Mark Rowan and Bill Ackman and some of the really important leaders who have taken real steps. When he, Mark Rowan, who is, um, is, is contributed tens of millions of dollars to University of Pennsylvania, wrote to the president and said, right. I'm sending you $1 this year. Right. 7,000 people wrote such letters to universities. Wow. Bill Ackman identifying the students at Harvard who signed that horrific letter. Now, all of a sudden, when they find out that their jobs might be in jeopardy, now they're saying, well, we didn't read it. We didn't know what was in it. Right. They have to be held to account, too. They're not you know, three-year-olds. And, and if we allow this, the fact that they can support a group that engaged in Nazi, and you know I never use these analogies, right, right. but this is a time to use it. Right. These were Nazi activities, and, and that they could stand with them is no different than standing with, with a swastika in, in a demonstration, which does arouse people's emotions and some criticism, but we have to take action against them. There has to be a ban on it. There has to be uh, universities that finally stand up and, and uh, act, and donors and, and uh, parents, alumni, have to act on it, have to let universities know you have options to send them to other schools. We can't send our kids to the schools where, where, where they could be endangered because of this. And any of these rallies could easily explode. There have been physical assaults on Jewish yeah. students. Well said and a good warning. Malcolm, and, and last night made us think about this even more, meaning the president's address to the nation. Are, are you annoyed or indifferent that that there seems to be a perceived or real linkage between Israeli aid and Ukrainian aid? So as I, as I mentioned, I think it complicates it. Uh, I think um, that part of the goal 
is to get the package as a whole because, for instance, Republican senators, there are quite a few who do not support the unlimited aid to Ukraine. Right. But if it's and a it's a big deal, number this time, by the way. It's a very big number this time. Very big number. Uh, but because of the aid to Israel, they would uh, they w- w- would be more likely to support it. Right. The uh, I think the issue that that has come up is the is the failure on in, in on all occasions to be able to say, look, Iran, you don't have to have a clear smoking gun to say that Iran is behind it. They are the ones who provide the weapons. They provide money. They provide ninety percent of the budget. They they provide the training. So to say that Iran is directly involved and they keep saying, well, we have no direct proof. Yes, we have direct proof. The very existence of Hezbollah and Hamas is direct proof. And we have to see to it that that their oil income is stopped. You want to have, One of the things that was suggested by a, a leading American official to me is we have to bomb the oil fields, stop the refineries. They don't have that income. They shrivel up Iran. And, and we have to see to it that all the steps that are taken, that the sanctions are imposed and, and the administration has put on more sanctions, but it's not enough. And now they're thinking, I think they are trying to freeze the $6 billion given to, to um, uh, that are in Qatar that were given to the uh, to Iran. And now uh, saying, and they say that none of the money was withdrawn. But I hope that it will be frozen and not allocated, that no more money, and that we start holding them to account. If we don't stop them, so they can they also operate through all of the other entities that I mentioned and many more. Um, who uh, who who has been more supportive of Hamas, the squad or Arab parties in the Knesset? And I, I'm trying to make a point because here we have not heard a word about any reaction from. Have the Arab parties in Knesset been relatively quiet since this massacre? Uh, yes, as far as I can tell, they've been well. First of all, because of the horrific nature. Of the uh, of the attack, I could, there was no way they could they could uh, validate it. But uh, I don't know that we've heard much criticism right. uh, or attacks against them. And there have been disappointing reactions in a number of the Arab countries. The UAE has actually been the best uh, in terms of its responses. Bahrain was good. Some of the others were not so good. And uh, you know the blame uh, that we heard from leaders of some of the countries on the hospital issue and other things, even after the revelations. Uh, this is uh, is disappointing to many people. It's understandable that uh, they have to they hedge their words, but uh, one would, could have expected more from some of them. And the question is what their actions will be now in the coming uh, days and weeks. Uh, that speaks louder than their words. Uh, all the words are important because the people take a message, and you saw the immense manifestations, demonstrations against Israel in Jordan, where they set fire to the Israeli uh, embassy. The Israeli consulate in in uh, Istanbul has been evacuated. Uh, in some of the other countries, there's special protections and stuff that had to be put up. Uh, that the um, uh, mood in, in the region, the the reaction of the leadership in the region has not been what it should be. It is an important message to them that the United States stood by an ally. For that day, I think they draw a lot of reassurance that the United States is willing to stand up. The two aircraft carriers is a big deal. Uh, and I hope people appreciate what and it is. And the, deliver- the delivery of the uh, the Jeeps, the delivery of the... Uh, uh, of the uh, uh, armored vehicles. Right, the armored, armored vehicles. vehicles. Yeah. 
Yeah, a cargo plane came with armored vehicles. They are and hopefully at the beginning of um, a number of shipments, and there are also more advanced equipment that hopefully uh, a lot of this is equipment that Israel paid for, and they're expediting it. And some hopefully will be additional equipment that will be paid for out of the money that will be allocated. Israel will need a huge amount of munitions to be stored in, in case of the north erupting and maybe Syria uh, and, uh, of course, against the Hamas, this long-term engagement that will be essential will require uh, a lot of very expensive munitions. Uh, we need protective equipment for the soldiers. They're going to need uh, other equipment as well. And I don't see that the soldiers and sailors on the aircraft carriers directly engage in the war. They could be activated uh to do logistical things on the ground in Israel, or if uh, Lebanon, if if Lebanon and Hezbollah in Lebanon start to get active, that potentially could be a place where the United States would act. These rumors that Hezbollah is so much better equipped and well armed than Hamas is, uh, I'm I'm assuming that's accurate, right? It is accurate. They're 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 because those num those numbers are staggering. I'm sorry. I'm just saying those numbers were staggering. Right. I was going to say that they have 150,000 missiles, but many of those have really sophisticated guidance systems, oh which is which was not true of a lot of the Gaza ones until now. And, you know, they never would have dared fire toward Jerusalem if because they, they couldn't, you know, direct it and it could hit a holy place or something. Now they at least have that degree of control that they are willing to take the chance. And not to, God forbid, you know, say something that that might lead to something but you know, you, you know how we are uh, but but they have stayed out i mean even even i know i saw the report this morning and i know there's some activity up north but relatively speaking they've stayed out last week you explained to us that politically it's to their benefit to stay out and internationally it's to their benefit to stay out do you still see that they're going to adhere to that well, I, I, as I said, I think their presence of the aircraft carrier is a big deterrent. They have not stayed out completely. There have been Israelis killed in the north individually from some of the uh, anti-tank mortars that they fire. They fire other kind of uh, weapons. Um, there are some reports that were not true, like the hang gliders coming across the border, et cetera. But there have been numerous attempts at, at uh, individual attempts to penetrate the border. Some of that is to test it. And we learned now, like we learned in the situation in Gaza, when they were exploding bombs along the border and everybody, you know, was dismissive of it. And I asked on the show, I mentioned, you know, it doesn't make any sense that they would just do it if they're not for, for the sake of blowing up things. They were trying to undermine it and they were testing it. And the same thing when you see in the north, when they had individuals cross the border or they tested the uh, fence and they cut the fence, they were testing it. And, and that's in preparation as well. So we, we, we have to know that we, the potential there for something serious to happen and it, exists. And Israel, I think, has 100,000 troops in the north ready to act. Yeah, and we, we've, uh, we've, heard something we've heard from some of them. Um, Israel wiped out one or more Syrian airports last week? They, they bombed the runways. The problem is that they're so expert at it after all these Israeli attacks that within a couple of days they're back functioning. 
they bombed the runways, they, uh, and that was because uh, Iran uses them to supply weapons, and it may be that the, Israel got word, maybe, that the weapons were coming and, you know, to, to uh, arm, further arm both Hezbollah, but more importantly, in this case, the Syrian militias that are controlled by Iran if they wanted to open up another front. So I think it was meant to be a message, and the Iranian uh, foreign minister was due to visit and had to postpone his visit because the both airports were bombed, uh, the runways, and, uh, you know, this, you know, we, we don't know what Syria's intent is and the degree to which they have independent judgment uh, because of the influence of Iran there, but it's very important for Israel to prevent another front from being opened. And I saw this uh, news item brought up by somebody on, on TV, which uh, if you could address it, the United Nations has lifted the cap on Iranian missile sales. What's that all about? No, so the sanctions, you remember, have, have um, sunshine clauses, which means that there are, when they enacted the, um, the sanctions against Iran, they expire. And the ones on Iran missile program expired October 15th or 19th. Ah. And so now they are freer, even though they were doing it illegally anyway, they are freer to move ahead with the missile program uh, because it's no longer sanctioned. But although that some of the Europeans and the United States keep the sanctions on it individually, but it's different. Malcolm, how key is it, especially in light of last Friday, how key is it to remind people in the diaspora to get to their public officials, their public safety personnel, their law enforcement officers, thank them for the protection? You know when they, when they are prepared, you know that they are uh, willing, able, and ready uh, to uh, to help at a moment's notice. It's when they're unprepared, unfortunately, when sometimes they're caught off guard. But even in that situation, they do their best to protect us. And especially in light of the day of rage and all that, we have to remember that we should not take our public safety and law enforcement officials for granted. So there are several th measures here that we're talking about. One is not to believe we're immune because we're far away. We're not far away. There are uh, people in the United States who want to do harm as well. So our institutions, uh, our schools, everything should be alert to it. Sometimes it's just the simple fact of making sure the doors are locked during the day and that you have people, uh, uh, police, when you dismiss the classes or uh, at, when you have the davening, the times of the, uh, people coming to the shul, not to close the shuls, not to close the schools, but just to take whatever necessary steps. I know many, many schools have done it. But that, that's one. Two, we are deeply grateful to the all, all levels of law enforcement. Uh, NYPD, I think, is always at the forefront. But uh, all levels having taking this seriously and taking action on it. Yeah. But the, the fact is, we don't know the enemy. A lot of it is hidden. So the uh, there's a limit to what the police can do proactively. And I hope that the FBI and others are monitoring the people crossing our borders, the, the activities that are going on, and take it seriously. You know, we saw that Israel had warnings. They didn't necessarily take everything as seriously as they should. And that is something that will be dealt with later. But uh, uh, every school and every community has to make sure that we take maximum things that are going to, we should support uh, Senator Schumer's efforts to increase the amount of money for, uh, for protection of institutions. 
Uh, it goes up to 360. I think they want to make it 500 million nationwide. That's really vital funding. Uh, and to, to support other measures that relate to the security at home and to demand that public officials and others speak out when they cross the line from what is a legitimate political difference to calling and, and, and uh, talking about annihilation and talking about death and threatening Jews and let alone carrying out some of those threats and physical actions. Have a peaceful Shabbos in Jerusalem. Let's all keep in mind uh, the, those who've been abducted and have uh, uh, found themselves in this um, incredibly dangerous and horrible situation. And uh, we pray for them. We pray for their families. I hope every synagogue will certainly keep them in mind during public presentations this coming Shabbos. Everybody should remember that around the world. We continue to pray for our soldiers and uh, Malcolm, if you are still in Jerusalem on uh, Tuesday afternoon, please join us at our Jerusalem studio. And uh, we look forward to getting there and expressing uh, our feelings of comfort and love for our brothers and sisters in the Holy Land. It's very important, but I don't think we can leave New York unprotected with both of us being out of it at the same time. <laughs> so I think, I think I better get back in time to make sure. But, but I, I hope that every shul will at least say, the tefillos for the soldiers and the and the missing, missing. Yeah. that every shul, no excuse. The Belzer Rebbe ordered in his main shul that they say it on Shabbos, this past Shabbos. It's imperative that that we all understand that this is us. This tefillah is for all of us, and that if they don't feel it now and understand and, and at least give expression to it in that regard, tonight in the great synagogue, uh, we have a couple hundred guests coming from, from uh, the south, oh, especially wow. Stay Road. Wow. There are 500 are in the Plaza Hotel, which I, I think you should go and see. But And I hope that you'll get to visit and meet with some of the people from the communities. There are a lot of them in Jerusalem. There are a lot of people everywhere. I understand there are 21,000 of them uh, in, in the Jerusalem area right now. Wow. Uh, because a lot of communities are, are, are vacated. State Road was, is, is a dead city. And you will see a lot of the stores are closed. People are called up. Services in hotels sometimes are, are more limited. Because the staff is is away, they're still they're still fine and everything's functioning, but um, but you'll see it immediately. Have a peaceful Shabbos. I I would normally say to you have okay. a wonderful Shabbos, but uh, you're in an area where our brothers and sisters are still traumatized and in fear by what has occurred. Have a peaceful Shabbos, and we'll speak Bezrat Hashem next week. God willing, be well. Malcolm Holmline is vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Wow. We'll leave Monday with a big thank you to Ralph Rosenbaum and to the entire Rosenbaum family, being Ralph sponsoring our Jewish Unity Initiative for October of 2024. Uh, 2023, rather. <laughs> I forget what I forgot what, what year we're in. Uh, October 2023, and I thank them. And Ralph will be with us on the mission this coming Monday. We'll broadcast Tuesday and Wednesday from Jerusalem. And obviously, I do, as Malcolm just suggested. I'm going to make an effort to meet with as many families of all different levels of suffering um, as possible, and of course, transmit those messages and discuss it with our guests live in Jerusalem. And um, as I said earlier, it's a dual message. It's, it's the, the comfort, the nechama, the, um, the love uh, that we want to bring to our brothers and sisters there 
uh, from the reaction we're getting, there are people, a lot of people there very, very touched that we're making this trip and knowing that we represent thousands of people. We're representing all of our listeners and we're there, as I always say, and any Jewish unity initiative. And the other message, of course, uh, we in the diaspora, not that we're not taking the war seriously, obviously so many thousands are, but we in the diaspora need to understand the, the pain, the shock, the trauma that our brothers and sisters are going through, and I'm sure that feeling will emanate from our visit as well. So Tuesday and Wednesday, live broadcasts from Jerusalem. Join us. Uh, someone on the app asks about the tefillah. All the tefillot are in the Koren Shabbos Siddur. If you get the Koren Shabbos Siddur, you'll have all the tefillot that you need for... Um, oh, I wonder if they even... They may have even made it available. Go to the Koren website. They may have made it available as a download now. Uh, the special tefillot for the army, for the state, and for those who are missing. Um, if anybody has suggestions of getting it before Shabbos to people in a faster fashion, email me, nachum at nachumsegel.com, and um, we'll try to do that. Candle lighting in New York. Um, what did we say earlier? <laughs> you think I'd remember one minute to the next. Candle lighting in New York. Here we go. Uh, 548, 548 candlelighting time in New York. Make sure you know when things start where you are as we get ready for, as we get ready for Shabbos Parshas Noach here at JM in the AM. And again, the schedule for next week with a big thank you to uh, Ralph Rosenbaum, who's going to be chairing our Jewish Unity Initiative and our journey. We will be in the New York City studio on Monday and then Bezrat Hashem Tuesday and Wednesday from Jerusalem. And I hope you'll tune in and spread the word. And let's continue to uh, strengthen this bridge between Israel and the diaspora. Let's try to strengthen it as best as we can. By the way, last week was the day of hate. Don't forget that our uh, friends at Yeshiva University, actually our students, uh, students at Yeshiva University, led by a gentleman who was with us yesterday, Uriel Sussman, have created a day of uh, loving kindness. Um which is going to be happening uh which is going to be happening um this coming Sunday. Yeah, this coming Sunday. Global Day of Loving Kindness this coming Sunday. On uh Twitter and on TikTok at Global DLK at Global DLK on Instagram, at Global Day of Loving Kindness, at Global Day of Loving Kindness, this coming Sunday, October the 22nd, answer Hamas's Day of Jihad with a Global Day of Loving Kindness. I like it. I like it. I like the idea, and I like the fact that our youth are leading it. This time, each and every Friday, every era of Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden, spiritual leader emeritus, Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Uden. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Noach. Parshas Noach spans the second thousand years of world civilization, world history, just as Bereshis covered the first thousand years from Odom till Noach, Noach covers the second thousand years from Noach till Avraham, who makes his appearance at the very end 
of the parsha. Now, the very first verse of the parsha has so many challenges and uh, fantastic lessons. I'm only going to point out number one: Eletodos Noach. These are the offspring of Noach, and we would have expected to find his, as we're told in the next verse, the names of his three sons: Shem, Chom, and Yafes. No, we're told not his physical progeny, but his characteristics. That Noach was a Ish, literally, in a society where there was no men. Hishtadel Leos Ish. You should be the man. He was, quote, a man, able to go against the tide. He was a tzaddik and a tomim hoyabidorosav. He was righteous and perfect in his generations. Now, without going into the Rashi, about had he lived in the days of Avram, what might be the difference between a tzaddik, a righteous person, and tomim, he was wholesome in his generations. And the rabbis give us the following explanation. A tzaddik is a person whose actions are righteous, and a tomim is an individual whose beliefs are perfect. Now watch. Noah, his name appears three times in the parasha. I'm sorry, in the first pasuk. Something which in of itself reaches out to us and says, what's going on here? And the rabbis teach us that three times, because he lived in three different time zones. He lived before the flood, he lived during the flood, he lived after the flood. Now, there are two major sins in this parsha, with very different consequences from each. The first sin is that of the Dor Hamabul, the generation of the flood, which, as we'll see, was a breakdown man to man. And therefore, the Torah says, in that generation, he was a tzaddik. Unlike the people of his day, who were cruel and violent to each other, as the Torah says, chamas, the end of verse 11, at the beginning of the parsha. Ouch, we are feeling the pain and suffering from Hamas, Hamas. Ratimuleo ores Hamas, the earth was full of violence, negative action in a generation where there was, as we'll see, terrible sin, his actions were good. Then, after the flood, we have at the, towards the end of the parsha, in chapter 11, you have the sin of the Dor HaFloga, the generation that Hashem dispersed. What was their sin? Their sin, as the Torah tells us, was not man to man, just the opposite. The 
Torah tells us in the beginning of chapter 11, by he called the Oretz Safa Achas, one language was for the entire earth, Udvarim Achadim, unified in ideas. They're building a tower. Why? To go up to the heavens. Why? They want to fight against God in their, quote, foolishness. And just know the number, my friends, 1656. What's that? The flood occurred in the year 1656. And they were going to be good to the future generations and build a tower because they said every 1656 years the sky, heavens, cannot contain all the water. There's an overflow and that's what caused the flood. We are going to build a um, tower up to the sky and we are going to build supports. That's what they were going to use their, quote, technology, science, to build supports in the heavens so that the flood should not come again in another 1656 years. The two suggestions which I just gave you, which come from Rashi, as to what their intentions were, were not man against man, but man against God. So in that time, Noah, his thoughts and his beliefs were tomim, as opposed to the rest of his generation. So basically, in both times, we find that Noah, the generation of man to man, he was a tzaddik. In the generation of man to God, he was a tamir. Okay, now, we find the following in verse 13. In the beginning of the parsha, God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, why? For the earth is filled with robbery through them, and therefore, I'm about to destroy all of mankind. Now, Rashi on verse 13 teaches us, Their sentence was not sealed, except on account of their committing the sin of robbery. Now, wait a second. What do you mean, as found in verse 13, that it was sealed because of robbery? In verse 11, when the Torah says, the earth had become corrupt, Rashi says, we're talking about immorality, and with sexual immorality, and we're talking about idolatry, which at first glance is much more serious sins than that of robbery. So the commentaries tell us, and listen very carefully, that what the Torah is communicating is the following. Yes, there were the sins of sexual immorality 
and idolatry, but for that, God would have been willing to extend greater mercy upon them. However, once there was this additional breakdown of man to man, then God punished them for all but the nechtam. It was sealed because of the breakdown man to man. The Torah is teaching us such a powerful idea. The idea is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is willing to uh, forsake and overlook the sins committed man to God, but unfortunately, man to man, not. And that's why the Gemara in Shabbos teaches us, if a person is merciful to other human beings, then God reciprocates in kind, and He is merciful on man. However, if man is not, but he acts in a cruel way to other men, unfortunately, that is the way that He extends to man. There's a fascinating Gemara in Sanhedrin 108b, whereby we find that Eliezer, who was the servant of Avram, asks shame ben Noach after the flood quite a bit, and asks him, how is it that you survived after, that you survived during the uh, flood? And he answers, and he says one thing. It was only because we were busy 24-7 feeding the animals. Olam chesed yibonet. The world had to be rebuilt on kindness. And by, as the Pesach says in Tilim 36, Adam uvehema, Toshia Hashem, man, an animal, does God save, the rabbis understand it to mean that in the merit of their feeding the animals, extending kindness, because after all, there were so many miracles with this ark. The Ramban writes that in actuality, ten arks could not have contained all of the animals, all the birds, all the fish. So, in, in a word, how could it fit in one ark? Even if you could tell me it was 450 feet long, etc. Come on, 10 arks couldn't do it. But the answer is, it was a miracle. Okay, so why couldn't Hashem do another miracle that once a week, Noah would go to each um, compartment and there would be a... Uh, automatic feeder, which would allow the animals to take their food by themselves each and every day. And the answer is no. Adam, excuse me, Noah, and his three sons, and wife and daughters-in-law, had to be busy 24-7. Those animals that fed during the day were fed during the day. Those that needed to be fed at nighttime fed at night time. And this is the way that the new world could be 
established on the foundation of kindness. When man extends kindness, the world will be recreated in that environment of kindness. Now, we find ourselves today in a very... It's so hard to find the exact word, but we are all exceedingly nervous, rightly so. We pray that we'll have the opportunity of Timcha Ezechra Amalek to be able to literally wipe out the people of Amalek whose raison d'etre, whose purpose is to kill Am Yisrael. And the Torah says, Timcha Ezechra Amalek. We hope that we're going to be able to fully participate in this process. But we pray that it's going to happen without casualties to our people. But we need to know the following, that at such a time, we are to be there one for another. Listen, my friends. In the sixth chapter of Avos, we're taught that the Torah is acquired in one of 48 ways, and one of the 48 ways is no say ba'ol imchavero. Literally, if somebody shares their fellow's burden, then they will acquire Torah. And we see from chapter 2 of Shmos that Moshe becomes the leader when he goes to his brethren who are the slaves and he's no seba olam chavero he rolls up his sleeves and he too acts with them working hard alongside of them. What is it about this characteristic of caring for the next one? So the morale says beautifully what it, there is is that if one is there for the next one, it transforms their identity from being an ish prati, an individual, to an ish klali, to a communal person. And once you are a different person, you're not just for yourself, you're a communal person, then the Torah was given to klal Yisrael, Torah wasn't given to individuals, and a leader has to be one who is for the klal. And therefore, this is a time, as we find in the Medrash Rabbah, in Parshas Emor. It's the second entry in Parshas Emor, the Medrash. It happens to be chapter 26, paragraph 2. And the Medrash contrasts the generation of David, where there was such scholarship, even among young children in Israel of Torah, yet they would go to war and did not always win. However, in the days of Achav, the wicked king, where they worshipped idols, they went to war and they always won. And the Medrash asks why. And the Medrash says, because in the days of David, even though they studied Torah, there was Dolaturin, there were informers, there were Baal, Lashon Hara, there wasn't peace and harmony and love and brotherhood among Israel. And they did not win. 
However, in the days of Achav, even though they worshipped idols, they had no Lashon Hara. They had brotherhood and love one for another, and Hashem protected them. We are in such dangerous times now. We need true love for each and every one, and not just Jews who might be like us. No. What does Hillel Hazokain say in the first chapter of Avos, Mishnah 12? Have me talmidav shall Aaron be like the students of Aaron? Oiv shalom v'roiv shalom. Loving peace and pursuing peace. Oiv is abrios, loving the beings, meaning all Jews. Umakarvala Torah. The idea is even if they are not observant, they're brios. You are to love, we are to love one another. And the more we show this love one for another, the more, please God, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to protect us. This is a time when Bli'ay and Hara were all aware of the chesed that, that is going on in Eretz Yisrael. The chesed from Jews all over the globe. And the idea is that each and every one of us has to tighten up in the three areas of tshuva, of tefillah, and tzedakah, improving ourselves. Each one knows where we have the opportunity to do more. And lest a person should say, because Rashi says, Noach, miktane emono, hoya. Rashi says that Noah had very limited emuna. Oh my goodness, how could you say limited faith? He spent 120 years listening to God and building the, tar- the ark, the teva. How could you say he had limited faith? And the Bardicheva says so powerful. He had limited faith in himself. He didn't believe that he was strong enough and good enough that had he prayed, he could have helped the entire world civilization. Too many of us feel, what can I do? And the answer is, every little bit that you can do makes a big difference. Amir Hashem, Suros Tovos, Yeshuos Vedechamos. We should hear quickly, Good news, safe news for all of Klal Yisrael, and especially our dedicated soldiers, Chayolim, Chayolos, they should be well. But just know that we're all soldiers, and we all have to report to the base. Besides their army base, we have to report to the base Akneses to the base of Medrash, to the house of prayer, and to the house of study. And our prayers, and our studies, and our chesed, and our tzedakah make a big difference. Shabbat Shalom to all. Hashem, oh. 
unto your people you know friends sometimes we don't know where our strength is coming from anymore anymore let me just tell you maybe some of you know it there's a Yiddler came to the Holy Land and he fought in 1948 in 56 and he had two sons two holy holy sons 1967 one son left this world sanctify God's name the name of the holy land and now on Yom Kippur the second son joined his father Abraham in heaven and I heard the story I'm the person who has to tell the parents when God forbid the children die. He said they just didn't have the strength anymore. They're driving around the block five times and how can you tell them? But regardless, finally they made themselves strong. They walked up. And they told him, we're so sorry to tell you, your last son is also gone. You know what he did? Hashem God gave him so much strength from heaven. He took a little bit of wine and said, Chaim, my holy son, Chaim, I envy you. You gave your life for the holy land. He said, Chaim, to his wife, Chaim, Chaim. You were privileged to have two holy sons who gave their life for the holy land. Hashem, Oz, Le'amo, Hashem, Oh yes, 
Hashem owes la'amo yitain. Hashem yivarech et amo b'shalom. And let's have a peaceful Shabbat ahead. Let's keep in mind those of our brothers and sisters who will not be having a peaceful Shabbat, who are being held by the enemy. Time to say good Shabbos with Journeys at JM in the AM.
Shalom to be Israel and Achim brothers and sisters in Israel. We are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at AchimSegal.com and the AchimSegal Network. And of course, on the beloved NSN app. Reminder, Naomi Nachman is next with a brand new edition of Table for Two. She'll be joined by Sophia Cohen, founder of Urban Pops, cookbook author Rebitson Ruchi Pinson, and Alyssa Kaplan, the founder of Kosher Gourmet Mart. Dot com. All three guests will be part of Naomi's show. Coming up in just a minute from now, Table for Two is brand new. We're proud to say here at the Nahum Siegel Network. At 10 o'clock, Mark Zomik features great music and more in the Erev Shabbos show, uh, presented by our friends at Kedem. Erev Shabbos music mix all day long, presented by our friends at Kedem. Saturday Night Siegel with Avrami and Rabbi Eliezer Zwickler. Tomorrow night at 9 o'clock. And, of course, uh, JM Sunday Matis at 7 a.m. Eastern Time, Sunday morning, join Matis. Don't forget, Monday, we'll do our jm and broadcast from New York. Tuesday and Wednesday, please God, from Jerusalem. Make sure to be tuned in. Have a peaceful Shabbos, everybody. Keep in mind, those of our brothers and sisters who will not be having a peaceful Shabbos. Um, have a good weekend until Monday. It's Nahum Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.